Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the numbers of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you uh, for these hallelujah psalms. Thank you for 147 that we're going to be looking at tonight. Praise you, Lord, that uh, you inspired this to be written. And we pray, Father, that as we study this together tonight, it would help us to praise you better and praise you more for Jesus' sake. Amen. So Psalm 147. And it's not about you. It's about God. Now, I was talking to a minister friend uh, the other week, <clears throat> no one from around here, so don't try and work out who it was, uh, who was um, telling me he was talking to a married man about some uh, particular sexual problem that this guy had, and he challenged him about his behaviour. Uh, and the uh, response which came for this guy was this, if I do as you say, what will this do to my mental health? To which my friend wanted to respond, well, what about your wife and what about your children? Why is everything about you? Sad, isn't it? His first response, all about me. Never mind the sin, how am I going to feel about it? Now, as a society, we have all becoming more and more self-obsessed, it seems to me. Uh, Anna and I were cooking dinner the other week and uh, uh, we tend to be... Radio 4 people in the morning and 5 live in the evening. 5 lives far too jolly for breakfast. And, um, uh, and there was a personal trainer being interviewed and uh, he was talking about how people want to look and how much they want to weigh and how fit we want to feel and uh, the lengths people go to achieve this fleeting ideal. And I said to him, it's just me, 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 isn't it? All the time, me, me, me. And then, uh, uh, I think it was, a, not yesterday, but the week before, the, the Times on Saturday, the, the colour magazine that comes with it, uh, Anna was flicking through it, and she said, as she threw it on the ground, or the settee or something, she said, uh, oh, it's just all about me, I don't want to read this, just me, 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 all the time. L'Oreal led the way, didn't they? Because I'm worth it. The most vulgar advertising campaign in history, I would say. 
And uh, because Christianity says naturally, you're not worth it. You're a failure. You're a sin-obsessed, self-obsessed individual, and you're not worth it. But you know the amazing, great news of Christianity? God loves you anyway. He loves you anyway, and he loves you more than you'd ever imagine. Despite yourself, he accepts you, and he loves you, and he died for you, and he lives for you. And this evening, as we turn to this uh, second of these uh, Hallelujah Psalms, um, it is a striking thing here. That actually we live in a world which is so self-obsessed, and this psalm is just the complete opposite. The thing about, uh, uh, I think the thing which perhaps troubles me perhaps even most about the church today is that we reflect our culture even when it comes to praise and worship, which should be, which must be, God-centred, God-focused. But we even manage to make our worship about me. Now, I've got a, a, uh, um, I've got a YouTube thing which I could suggest you might like to search for. I was going to show the video and I looked at it and said don't, don't do it in church in the sermon. So, uh, but if you want to see it I'll give you the thing to search for. Okay? But, it's, but it's all about things about uh, how great is our God, yes? How great is our God, sing with me. Yep, that one. And they change it to how great is this song, sing with me, how great is this song, and all, and etc. So, so we turn even our worship songs into songs about ourselves. As a friend of mine once said, we just sing about ourselves singing. Now, and we, th- and we do things like we're, we're thinking actually, so how do I look? What will others think of me if I raise a hand here? And who cares if you want to raise a hand? That's fine. It's not about you anyway. Um, or, uh, or we think, is my singing good? Do I sound good? Well, God thinks it sounds great, okay? Whatever it actually sounds like to the rest of us, but God thinks it sounds great. And you're singing to the Lord, apart from uh, uh, the, uh, the other folks around here. So, uh, so sing up, okay? Let's praise our God. And it's not just about us. We need to drum it into our minds and our hearts and our souls, don't we? This is not about us first and foremost. As we praise God together, it's about him. Uh, I I'm, think I'm, I've told you before a little story, true story, I gather, about a rector of a church in London. Don't know which church, don't know which rector. But someone came up to him at the end of the service and complained about some aspects of the service, to which he, uh, he um, looked them in the eye and he said, it's not about you, stupid. Sorry, someone was coughing. It was not about you, stupid, is what he said. And then he walked off. But you see, the idea is, what we're doing now, it's not about us. It's about God. As, uh, uh, and as someone said, these hallelujah psalms, when we think of the psalms, they are a great serene river. Uh, but then when they reach these last five, that river turns into a cataract of praise, tumbling down in the praise and the worship of God. And would you believe it? It's all about God. Psalm 147 is all about God. So um, Psalm 147 has got 20 verses, okay? In our translations here, 12 of them begin with the word he. That's God. One of them begins with the word his. That's God. And, uh, uh, and where they don't believe, begin with he or his, the word Lord in capitals, which is, means Yahweh, which means God, comes in the first four words of every other verse. Uh, 
It's a psalm of praise and it's all about God. And praise, it's that's not about you. We've got to change our mindset. We've got to change our thinking. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is about God. So what do we learn here about God? Well, the first thing is this. He is our great God. It's called our God, for a start, in, uh, uh, in verse 1. How good it is to sing praises to our God. We'll return to this in the second point, but let's be clear. This is both personal and corporate. So it's something, so praise is something that comes from your heart, your personal own individual heart and mine. But then with something that we do together. And we join together and we're built up and we're encouraged and it becomes something that grows and develops because it is a corporate thing we do. So uh, it's something we do on our own, but it's also something that we're doing together and that's a great benefit to us. And together, right here, right now, we need to, I mean, I think we need to be together, don't we? To celebrate and to enjoy God and to worship him together, our great God. And when you have a look at verse 1 here, You see, it is good to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting, appropriate, in other words, to praise him. And how it's supposed to be enjoyable. So I was saying to the band just before the service, guys, um, we can smile. Okay, it's good to smile. I've been encouraging the girls to sing, uh, to smile, as they, and Matt as well, to smile as they're singing. And, uh, and for all of us, we can smile. No, we, don't, we may not want to smile all the time. We can still praise God from our hearts and not be smiling. But actually, we can smile. So, uh, you know, and we can look like we're enjoying it because it is something, what verse 1 is saying, it is something to be enjoyed. It's appropriate. It's something to be enjoyed. And then go and look at verse 5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. So it's saying there is, there are no limits to God. His understanding has no limits. You can take that on and think his insight has no limits. His love has no limits. His knowledge has no limits. His wisdom has no limits. His grace has no limits. All the divine resources of character and grace are without limits in the great God whom we worship and give our praise to as we meet week by week. Thomas Aquinas was uh, one of those guys who was coming up with things about arguments for the existence of God hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And as part of that, he came up with this. He defined God. God is that being beyond which... Nothing greater can be conceived. God is that being beyond which nothing greater can be conceived. So in other words, you can't think of anything greater than God. So have a look at verse 4 here. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Now, if you were to go out somewhere where there is no light pollution and there are no, uh, no clouds, and you look up in the sky, um, you would see the stars up there like dust over the, the canopy of the heavens above your head. Like dust. Apparently there are more stars in the visible universe than there are grains of sand in the whole world. And God knows them each by name. That's an awful lot of stars and God knowing each of them and placing each of them there. God has determined what all those stars are like and he knows them each by name. 
It's also, of course, meant us to think of God's great promise to Abraham in Genesis 15 and verse 5, when he says to Abraham, the stars in the sky, so Abraham will your descendants be. So Abraham will be the people of faith who come after you, your spiritual descendants. And that includes you and me, like dust in the sky. And he calls us each by name. And he knows you, inside out, intimately. What a great God. And our natural and only response is to praise him. No other response will be appropriate, just on its own, unless it involves some kind of praise of him. Of course, we see other aspects of God's character, but we will want to praise our great God. As it says in verse 1, it's good and pleasant and fitting. Something to be enjoyed. So I hope, and it's not just, of course, our sung worship, uh, but we do want to sing as we worship God. Um, and uh, just going back to our, our music, I think it's really encouraging. Our music is uh, little bit by little bit, which I think is a great way to do it, getting better and better. And our singing is getting better and better. The church I became a Christian at, uh, in those days, very austere, and, uh, uh, and we had a guy called Herbert Cragg, who was the vicar, uh, who was uh, a great Christian guy. He was, um, he was probably in his 60s. He had a dog collar about this high, and, uh, and a very formal church, all robed up and all this sort of stuff. And apparently he quite regularly said to his curates, just before they processed out of the vestry, before the service started, he would say to them, he would just turn around, he would say to one of his curates, who may be leading the service or preaching, and he would say, enjoy it. Enjoy it. And we're meant to enjoy worshipping God because we're doing what we're created to do. We're fulfilling part of God's great design for us, the worship of our great gods. And of course, as we do that, as we fulfill God's design for us, that should make us actually very secure doing what we were designed to do. Chrysostom, early Christian leader, very early Christian leader, was on trial for his life. And the emperor said, we will banish you. And Chrysostom said, uh, you cannot banish me, for the whole world is my father's home. The emperor replied, well then, we will execute you. And Chrysostom said, you cannot. My life is hid with Christ. The emperor replied, well then, we will dispossess you of your estate. And Chrysostom said, you cannot. I've not got any. All my treasure is in heaven. And the emperor said, well then, we will put you in solitary confinement. And Chrysostom said, you cannot, for I have a divine friend from whom you can never separate me. I defy you. There is nothing you can do to hurt me. And God's greatness means we therefore have ultimate security. And we praise him for that. Praise is just not about you. It's about God. It is about our great God who we will praise week by week by week when we meet together. And day by day by day as we meet with Christian people and as we're on our own with him. The next thing is that that our great God is a gathering God. One of the things in the Bible is that God is a gathering God. 
In fact, uh, it, this is one of these things in the Bible. You can see, it's a bit like the tide going out and the tide coming in and the tide going out and the tide coming in. There's gathering and scattering or scattering and gathering and so on. So, for instance, after the fall in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, there was a scattering. After the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, there was a scattering. After the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC, there was a scattering of God's people into exile. But there's also a gathering of God's people after the exile, which is referred to in this psalm. There's a gathering of God's people tonight. As you left home, or wherever you've come from, and came here. And there's a gathering of God's people at the end of times when Jesus returns. And here, this psalm focuses on this gathering of God's people after exile. Look at verse 2. The Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathers the exiles of Israel. And uh, they were returning to Jerusalem, a pretty battered bunch. Look at verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds, says it's after the exile. But this is what God does. He's gathering his people again after they've been scattered across the ancient uh, Middle East. You might say scattered or you might say splattered across the ancient Middle East. And he's creating a gathered people. And friends, we are gathered tonight as part of what God is doing in our lives and our life together. And as God is creating here a new people of God. See, look at verse 11. Uh, It says here, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Those who have that right attitude to him, those who put their hope in his love, those who put their trust in him. And God, it says here, delights, delights in you as you do that, delights in me as I do that. And he's thrilled to have us his here now called and joined together to worship him. I've talked to quite a lot of people about what happened at, uh, uh, what they did at Christmas time. And uh, a number of, for a number of us, a real delight in gathering family together at Christmas. And when we, when we get together as family and everyone's there, say at Christmas or a family holiday, it's just a delight to have everyone there. And just remember, as, as you know, like the, Getting the family together, gathering people together. And so we remember that God gathers to a relationship. He gathers to a relationship, a relationship between us and him. So I think, look at verse 10, I think it's quietly amusing, especially if you're a Scotsman. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. So shorts, kilts and so on. But, uh, but actually the key thing is in verse 11. The Lord delights in those who fear him. He's not concerned about strength and so on, but actually he delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. God delights in a relationship with his people. He delights in the praises of his people. He's a gathering God, and he gathers people to a relationship with him. If you feel you don't have that relationship with him, or if you feel you're just coming back to that relationship with him, we'd love to know, because I think we can help you. And uh, I see some of the chairs have still got on us to uncover cards, and then Anna and I are running a little uncover course at the moment. It's still come Wednesday night, our place, 
745. Uh, do let me know about that, just to find out more about Jesus and this relationship that we can all have with him. It was Augustine, again, way back in the early church, and he said this, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. And as God delights in us, so we delight in him. I think verses 19 and 20 are probably the climax of the psalm. Uh, Jacob, Israel, they're, they're, uh, they're kind of like shorthand for God's people. I'll explain a little bit more in a moment, but uh, uh, look at verse 20. He has done this for no other nation. I think it would be better if there wasn't a semicolon there, but there was an exclamation mark there. That would get the feel of it. He's done this for no other nation, for no other people. In other words, God has done this, all this, for his people and his people alone. He's the gathering God. He delights to do so. And it should be a delight in our hearts too, uh, to come and give him our praise and worship. Is that? Is that there for us? Are we a little too tied up with ourselves? about how we come across to others. Our hearts are teeny bit cold. We're not really loving God as we would like to. After Christmas, uh, we went over to Hampshire to see Anna's uh, uh, brothers uh, brothers and uh, (coughs) the family. And the person who said grace began his grace at lunchtime on the Saturday after Christmas. He said this, Jesus, we adore you. I was really very struck with that. I'm not sure I've ever said that in a grace at a mealtime. But he meant it. Jesus, we adore you. And um, I hope we mean it too. And if you couldn't honestly say that, or maybe you feel it's not quite me, that's okay. But if you'd like to adore Jesus, or you'd like to adore Jesus more, do ask someone you know, and perhaps have a pray with someone at the end of the service. And maybe just pray something like, you know, Jesus, we pray you'd help us to adore you more than we do today. Amen. So praise is not just not about you, it's about God, our great God, our gathering God, and then just uh, very briefly, it's time whizzing along, isn't it? Uh, our governing God. Well, of course he is. How can you have a God who's not a governing God? I mean, he can't help it. If God is God, he must be the governing God. Look at verses 15 to 18, for instance. Now, in this country, uh, apparently uh, the country's uh, favourite weather forecaster is Thomas Schaffernecker, apparently. BBC? No? Okay, it's not that interesting, but I thought I'd mention it. But anyway, the thing about weather forecasting and weather forecasters is they only forecast what it's going to do. We can't change the weather. We may try. I, I did geography years ago, we, and people were trying to change the weather. It's really difficult to do. We actually, we can't really do it. Well, we can with global warming, but we can't do it just in the short term and so on. Um, we can only forecast it. And yet here, God controls the weather. So uh, you look here, spreads the snow like wool, verse 16, 17, he holds down the hail like pebbles, uh, and so on. God is the sovereign God. He's the governing God. Um, And he loves us, and he protects his people, and he provides for his people. You see his protection in verses 13 and 14. And it's probably thinking there about Jerusalem again. 
strengthens the bars of your gates, Jerusalem, coming back from the exile, blesses your people within you. Um, uh, think of Nehemiah, okay? That's probably what it's referring to uh, in verses 13 and 14 there. And you can see God's provision for his people. For instance, in verses 8 and 9 there, God's provision. Now, we all know that. If God is God, of course he does all that stuff. That's what God does. But have you noticed how he does it? Have you seen how he does this? It happens. It comes about. It is orchestrated. It is commanded through God's word. So, for instance, look at verse 15. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Verse 18, he sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. Verse 19, he has revealed his, guess what, word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. Just as in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke and the universe was created. It came to be. So God governs his world and his people through his word. Still does. Today. Now. That's how he does it. So therefore, as his people gather together, we're not just going to be mindlessly praising God, but we will praise the God who has revealed to us through his words. Which is why, as we meet together to praise and to worship him, we will also need to be taught the Bible. Because it's through the Bible that we will know and understand what this God is like, and so we can rightly and truly praise him, rather than... uh, rather than any other way, which would not be true and accurate. We're God's people, we're Bible people. So we want to do what God wants us to do, and we want to praise and worship our God in the way that he has revealed, uh, well, in terms of how he has revealed himself to us, and in the way that he has revealed himself to us. So we rely on the words to understand our God, and therefore to praise and to worship him appropriately and truly. Uh, Can I just recommend our Lent course that's coming up? We're going to do a walk through the Bible, walk through the Old Testament. Uh, We did it here about 12 years ago, I think, something like that. And uh, uh, we're going to do it in our Lent course on uh, four Wednesday evenings. Uh, You'll find out more about it. The first one is on the 6th of March. Get the dates in your diary. 6th, 20th, 27th and the 3rd of April. And do aim to be here uh, uh, so that we can all become more and more people who understand the Bible and will worship and praise our God for who he is as revealed to us through the Bible. So uh, uh, let's praise our God. Let's remember it's not about us, but it's about him. And where do we find out about him? In the pages of scripture, in the pages of his word, as he has revealed himself to us. So let's praise our great God. Let's praise our gathering God. And let's praise our governing God. And let's praise him a bit more tonight. Dave.